when I was being wheeled into the first major operation oh, and I was being moved from the the bed where you get your anesthesia mm -hmm. to the operating table. Mm -hmm. And the Lord said to me in that moment, he says, Jeff, I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And that's the last thing I remember. This is the Another Chance Podcast. I'm Brian Sussman. It's a word that no one wants to hear, especially when it's being used in a diagnosis. Cancer. Jeff Langscope and I have been friends for many years. Well over a decade ago, he was told he had cancer. After a 13-year battle, finally, he came out on the other end, cancer-free. We're about to make a significant pivot in the Another Chance podcast series. Many years ago, I was interviewing Dr. Billy Graham. And following the interview, he wrote a beautiful letter to me in which he commended me for utilizing my occupation as a platform to tell people about Jesus. He said in the letter, if we dedicate ourselves totally to the Lord, there is no limit to the number of doors the Lord will open to us. He concluded the letter by calling me a co-laborer in the gospel. I'm at a stage in my life where it's time I live up to the guy that Billy Graham described. Hence this podcast. You see, I, maybe like you, sense things rapidly changing in this world. And I want to use this platform to equip my brothers and sisters in the faith to become tighter in their relationship with Messiah Jesus. So you're about to hear a compelling story from Jeff Langscove. It's a story of hope. It's a story of encouragement for anyone battling cancer. It's also one of hope and encouragement for family and friends of that very person. Jeff's testimony will become a springboard for us to dive into the Bible. It's something the two of us do, by the way, each week as we serve a group of guys from all over the world who meet with us on Zoom every Saturday to hear a teaching and discussion from God's precious word. So now we're joined by Jeff. I just have to ask you right off the bat, what was it like when you were told by your physician that you have cancer? It was a wake-up call. I was 47 years old. It was 2009. I'd lived in relatively good health most of my life. I had no real reason to suspect I had a deadly form of cancer at that age. And it's interesting because it was really through a series of, of serendipities that an army ranger doctor showed up on my doorstep one day. He was a neighbor. And I told him symptoms that I had. And he says, Jeff, you need to go see a urologist. And that was the pivot. Someone knocking on my door that had a skill set and a friendship that basically was a second opinion to my current doctor who was leading me down the right path. Next thing I know, three days later, I'm on the operating table. Three days later from the time this guy is at your doorstep? Yes, well, when you say serendipity, I mean, this is a podcast that is Christian-based. How much of that serendipity was 
the Lord Jesus using this army doctor to talk to you at that moment? Well, um, it was God's grace uh, to intervene in my life. And over the long haul of the next 13 years, Brian, that process was a turning to the Lord, even though it was an affliction, an adversity that had seasonal battles up and down. And then eventually in 2019, I had a radical surgery. And in 2020, a follow-up radical surgery. And um, now I'm here today in 2021 with, uh, with good health. Uh, the cancer seems to be in remission. And the Lord has done an incredible work in my heart to turn me towards him and to uh, give me a purpose that I wasn't really walking in at the time, to be quite honest. Was there a moment in time where it was possible that you were going to perish from this disease? Um, I think if we didn't turn some specific corners later on in the 2017, 2018, 2019 where again, I got a second opinion and the doctor said, Jeff, you're rolling the dice. Hmm. We can stay ahead of this, but we're going to have to do something really, really radical. And I had several ectomies <laughs> as a result of that and removals hmm. and repurposing of things in my body. But in the midst of all that, God was giving to me a new heart, a newfound love for him and a joy of my salvation that was worth it all. It was worth the trial. It was worth the test knowing what he has brought me through and now what has been given to me to encourage others that are facing similar battles. Were there times during this ordeal over 13 years where you just prayed to God and and pleaded with God for a healing? That was that was kind of the canned response. You know, oh my God, I got cancer. Well, we need to pray for Jeff. Right. Because that's, that's what yeah. you would want to do. I, I want to pray for you. You just had this diagnosis of cancer. I want to pray for you. So was it reciprocal at the same time where you're saying, please pray for me? God, please heal me. How did, how did that work? I have to say I had a tremendous amount of peace, even even with the immediate diagnosis. Yes, it's a wake-up call, but I had that deep abiding sense of peace, kind of like Jesus sleeping in the stern of the boat while the disciples are oaring through the storm. <laughs> there is that peace that comes to us in the midst of the trials of our life that otherwise you can't predict. You, you can't even earn that peace. It's given by God's grace. And that was my initial response. I knew that he was up to something and that this was going to be purposeful, not just a battle for my life, but a purpose to, to unfold through my life. Again, these may be super elementary questions, but did God allow this cancer to take place? Was it Satan taking a swipe at you from a theological perspective? Because as our listeners will find out, you love theology, you love studying the Bible, you are a scholar of the Bible. But talk to us about that part of all of this. It's, it's a great question, and there's a lot of details. 
here's what I'll say, Brian. I didn't understand a lot of it until later, you know, mm-hmm. down the line. Like how uh, far like down, down the line? Probably till about 2019. I didn't understand the full purpose of that. So that's 10 years in. 10 years in where I was reading Luke chapter 22, verse 32, where, where Peter is rebuked in the upper room by Jesus just hours before his arrest. And he looks at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked me permission, demanded that I allow um, him to be sifted, allow you to be sifted as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And we know Peter went on to deny the Lord three times. He did weep bitterly in repentance over that. Mm -hmm. The Lord restored him over the next 40 days. And Peter became that foundation, part of the foundation of the church, a pillar of the church, a leader of the church to strengthen his brothers. So the Lord said, and I just called it up here on my computer, the Lord said, I'm using the New King James Version, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, This is Jesus talking to to Peter. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So this was a case of Satan. And there are some listening who really understand spiritual warfare, perhaps better than I do, perhaps better than you do. But spiritual warfare is very real. Um, but Satan actually comes before the Lord and says, I want this person. I, I want to see what they're made of. Is, is that it, a proper analogy? It, well, it, it is a proper analogy. It's a very strong uh, word there in that context because Satan is asking to put that, that the Lord would allow him to have complete control over Peter. And the reason why Peter was... Um, attractive was because of his pride. It's very clear. They had just been arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. That's a really good point. They had just literally at the table. They're arguing who is the greatest in the kingdom. (laughs) And Jesus goes on to wash their feet saying the servant is greater. The greatest. I have not come to be served, but to lay my life down as a ransom for you to give you an example of my love. And I think Satan prays upon pride. And so Mm. Peter became kind of got in the crosshairs of Satan in that moment. And I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Well, it would appear as if just going to this Bible story, it would appear that Peter did fail. He failed three times. He denied the Lord three times and he was busted for it. And then there's that moment in the Bible where Jesus looks across the courtyard and, and locks eyes with Peter. And as you mentioned, Peter goes away weeping bitterly. So was there a locking of the eye moment for you with God? Did that ever occur? I think that occurred to me when I was being wheeled into the first major operation. Oh, and I was being moved from the, the bed where you get your anesthesia mm-hmm. to the operating table mm-hmm. And the Lord said to me in that moment, he says, Jeff, I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And that's the last thing I remember. Okay. 
me. Unpack that for us. I have prepared a table for you in the presence of my enemies. So who were the enemies? Well, it was quite clear that death was one of them. Okay. And it was a literal operating table. But I think based on Psalm 23, what he's saying is this is going to be a moment of victory. There's going to be victory in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death that you're going through. And so with that word came that undeniable peace that this was actually an advancement of his purposes Mm -hmm. in my life to bring me through to that place of turning fully to him and then being able to go and strengthen my brothers. Yeah, I've just called up Psalm 23. So verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So even in that moment, you're being hauled into surgery. Certainly the valley of the shadow of death, you were not overcome with fear. Yes. And the Lord was comforting you. Yes, it was a sign of his presence. It was his word. It was it was Jesus, the good shepherd, hmm. walking with me into this, this battlefield and, and, and pulling out a spread. And I'll tell you, Brian, from that point on, there was a celebration. There was a joy that was released hmm. in me, even in the, the, the weakness and the the, the, the brokenness of the body. You walked into that celebration. You walked into that banquet table when you came and visited me. True. True. And, and there, there, was a, there was a victory, a, a victorious presence, even through the sickness. I, I came in on the tail end, and maybe we should save that for a bit. But talk to us about the ups and downs of having cancer, because if this was a 13-year ordeal, there had to be a lot of moments where you thought, all right, I've beaten it. And then, oh my gosh, it's back. Talk to us about those ups and downs because, again, I'm convinced there are people listening right now who are experiencing the peaks, experiencing the valleys. They can relate, but they need a word of encouragement. And there are others, perhaps, listening who say, you know, I've got this buddy, I've got this brother, I've got this sister, I've got this child. Talk to us about those peaks and valleys. Yeah, I think that the peaks and the valleys were um, con- controlled or influenced by how much I was focusing on the character of God or not. You know, so so the, the peaks or the valleys or the high moments would be where I know he's faithful. Mm-hmm. I know he won't allow anything to come into my life without his permission. And so if it's in my life, I know he's going to be there with me to give me the strength, to give me the, the, uh, the peace to go through it, even though I might not understand it. And so as long as I is focusing on him and focusing on his word, those were the moments where I was at my best, so to speak, to deal with it. Probably the moments where I got into despair and into, uh, bouts of depression was when I just felt overwhelmed. Uh, the chronic pain phases, for example, mm. not being able to sleep um, in uh, 2017 to about 2019. Th- those were those were the tough times because just the the, the suffering, the suffering piece of it. 
But I always knew, I always knew that he was up to something deep down inside of me that he was, that he was drawing back to himself. So it was kind of a prodigal return to him throughout that process. It was a drawing of me back into fellowship with him and purpose and strength for other people. As you're mentioning the, 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 the pain, the sleepless nights, I was just thinking of somebody who might be imprisoned for their faith. I mean, there is pain. There would be suffering. And yet at the same time, there's great joy. There's great peace. Did you ever feel like you were in some sort of prison? Um, I did. I, th- I think my, my food pretty much day and night was the Psalms. That was the only hmm. part of the Bible that made any sense to me. The, the epistles didn't. The, the, this is, this the, is great honesty. By yeah, the, the way. Pentateuch didn't. The prophets didn't. It was the it was the wrestling of David and um, the other psalmists that helped me make sense of that season in my life where you felt distant from God, but you knew He was there, but you didn't understand what He was doing, and you were hoping against hope, and you were you were battling with feelings of rejection or feelings of, you know, this is going to be the end of the, this is going to be the end of my race and what a end it's going to be, you know? Yeah. Because over time, if it, if this is a 13 year battle, it would seem like most of the news was always getting worse. Yeah, it's true. It's true. In fact, when he really started to <laughs> awaken my my first love for him in 2019. And I, you know, he gave me this one little command. He said, Jeff, you need to start walking. And, um, walking wasn't an easy thing to do. So physical, physically, he said, you need to physically start walking. And so I started out like 10 minutes a day by within five months, I was walking anywhere from an hour to two hours a day, lifting light weights Mm -hmm. and doing swimming. And so, but, and he was just completely mending my heart inwardly. I ended up having a a release of ministry to Asia. I had prayer with my people in Asia. I actually thought I was healed. At one point, I thought I was healed. Well, because if I remember correctly, during, was that the time in which you actually traveled to Asia to do some ministry? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, and then within a month of getting back, they found out it actually had spread. You mentioned the cystectomy. Mm-hmm. Did I pronounce that properly? Yeah. And the other ectomies. That yeah, you've had. yeah, yeah. But we haven't really uh, mentioned the actual cancer that you first were diagnosed with. So maybe you could go through that with us. Because yeah. people are familiar with these cancers. Yeah, the first cancer I got was bladder cancer. And then um, <clears throat> treated, came back, treated, came back. And then it spread in 2017. Um, uh, it spread into my ureter, mm-hmm. which is part of your kidney. Mm-hmm. And um, then at that point, we went ahead and did um, the surgery. Mm-hmm. And as a result of the surgery, they found that it had spread into the prostate and other, other places as well. They didn't 
they weren't even aware of it. So, so bladder cancer, and you're thinking, this is it. Yeah. They're going to go in there. They're going to take care of it. And then you find, oh, my gosh, it's spread to another vital organ. So talk to us about that particular moment. Because, again, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of that wonderful person who's listening who thought it was this cancer, and all of a sudden it's that cancer. Well, my doctor, when we did the, when I went back after for my three-week visit, he says, well, we made the right call, Jeff, because it had metastasized in your prostate. It had metastasized into uh, several other reproductive organs. And uh, we made the right call after the biopsy mm -hmm. because, and he says the amazing thing was, is I could, I didn't even know it was there. And I think that's, again, going back to the, the Army Ranger doctor that said, you need to go see a urologist, boom, in surgery within three days, to then making a, 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 getting a second opinion with another doctor and him saying, this was the right call because I missed this. We didn't see this. And so I, I just kind of came to the conclusion, Brian, that the Lord's hand, part of his healing hand, was in the radicalness of the surgeries and in the healing of my my spiritual life with him. Mm -hmm. So he did answer the prayers for healing, but most of all, it was the healing of parts of my heart that were broken and my will that were, were broken and my, my uh, uh, submission to him. And so through all of this, he was rebuilding a new Jeff, so to speak, even though my body was breaking down, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost difficult to explain, but difficult to explain to me. But when you get together with people who have been there, yeah, I'm guessing there's a certain camaraderie yeah. that cancer patients that those who have been seen, seen victory over cancer can share. Oh, definitely. I was, actually walking with my my mother now who's going through stage four ovarian cancer and we can literally sit there we can cry together brian mm. we can laugh together mm. because we love the lord and we know we're going to have a resurrection body at some point and there's just a an empathy and a and a an understanding without speaking anything that you can just be by somebody's side and you're giving them strength because you've been through a similar situation. It's a it's a beautiful camaraderie. Well, your mother sounds amazing because, uh, she, again, serious diagnosis, and, and yet you tell me that she's just tearing up the Bible. She's learning all about spiritual warfare. She's got a great attitude, it sounds, at least from what you've described to me. Yeah, her biggest concern is whether or not she'll be able to teach her, her class on warfare. Spiritual warfare, her Bible class. That's what she's preparing for. She's not getting up and moping around the house, you know? So, okay, how do you, because I've heard of the people, we've all known people who got the diagnosis, they're in treatment, and they're just, they're so miserable that they're moping. And, and I look at a person like that, Jeff, and I think, for some, the missing ingredients is Jesus. You know, they don't have, they don't have that hope within them. Uh, they don't know the Savior personally. Yeah, that's that's a huge factor. I'm thinking from hearing your story, your mother's story, and others along the way. Yeah, I think it goes back to that 
precious word that Jesus gave to Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Mm -hmm. Your body might fail. Your mind might fail. Mm -hmm. You might fail in your morality. There's all kinds of ways to fall down. Mm -hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. Falling away is a lot more serious than falling down. Mm -hmm. Peter fell down. We all fall down in one way or another. And the fact of Jesus praying that we will discover the value of our faith in our tests, in our disappointments, be it health, relationships, be it career or, or um, parenting or whatever the case might be, this, this is what we find is how valuable that faith is in, in Jesus Christ. And to not have that, I honestly don't know how people go through it. Okay, that's that's interesting because as you were speaking and before you concluded with that last sentence, I was I was going back and recalling people that I've met over the years who do not have a personal relationship with Messiah Yeshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet they're able to gut cancer out. And their strength and their determination are just off the charts. And I guess that in and of itself is a gift of God and they haven't recognized it because some do have that kind of grit, don't they? They do. They do. I mean, there's a fraternity among, you know, you can jump online with bladder advocacy, you know, cancer fraternity, and you can talk to people and it doesn't matter what your spiritual background is. There, There's a strength and there's, and I think you're right. I, I think it has to do with the indomitable human spirit that mm -hmm. wants to live. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a Christian, we live with the hope of the resurrection. We live with the fact that there is going to be, at some point, a transformation of this body, and it'll be free of sickness. It'll be free of, of the sorrow of death, and it'll be likened unto the resurrection body of Christ. And that's a hope that keeps you through uh, the, the times where you wonder if your body's going to just kind of stop functioning. Yeah, the people who gritted out. I'm thinking of my mother. Uh, she, she died. I guess it was a little over a year ago. But upon her death, her husband. Now he's not my biological father. He'd been married to her for I guess the last twenty years or so. But super nice guy. But he had. She had hid. She's a former nurse. She had hid all of her medical diagnoses from him, from everybody, and. She was gritting it out to the very end. We all wondered what was wrong with her. Just, Mom, what, we talked behind her back. What is, what is going on with her? And you could tell she wasn't right, but you could tell she had this determination in her heart. And she was getting, she was getting so bad, Jeff, just not able to walk and not able to move around and always very uncomfortable. I told her, I said, Mom, I'm, I'm coming to Chicago where she lived. I'm, I'm flying to Chicago. I want to spend some time with you. And really what I wanted to do was take her to um, assisted living facilities because there's, there's no way her husband was able to take care of her any longer. And it was really getting troubling. And so I remember I took her, I took her to a, a various ones. We went to the, the middle of the road and then we went to the super high class. And, <laughs> and all I can tell you is when we got back to her house, she was so PO'd at me. She, 
she was so angry that I would dare take her to one of these facilities because she thought she didn't need it. And it was just a short time later that she died. Wow. She fell down at her house. She was hospitalized and they gave her, you know, seven days. So I saw it. I knew there was something wrong, but she had that grit and determination. And there's no way I'm going to go in one of these assisted living facilities. And you're not going to tell me I'm sick. Well, upon her death, we found out that she had a multitude of cancers she'd been living with. And she knew it. But she refused treatment. She was just going to gut it out to the very end because she was older and she didn't want to go through all that stuff. But uh, and, and I just have to seal up the story. At the very end of her life, on her on what turned out to be her deathbed, she did come to uh, a saving grace with the Lord Jesus. She did make that commitment of faith. But that just talks uh, talks to us about some people's determination yeah. and their will to live and just wanting to gut it out. And I can tell you right now, I don't think I, I'm, I'm not that guy. I would need the Lord Jesus for, for every step of the way. But let's go back now to that time where I, I met you in the hospital. That's a story in and of itself because we hadn't seen each other for right. a number of years. Our, our paths had just sort of separated. And now the the I'm getting choked up. Uh, this is uh, the moment where I come back to the hospital. I see you after the last surgery, which didn't go as planned, did it? No, no, it didn't. It was, you know, it was meant to go in a certain direction. And then they found out that I had cancer in another part. So they couldn't move that direction. So it ended up being like a 14, <laughs> 14 hours on, on, on the table. And, um, but it all worked together. It all worked out. And I believe it was for the best. Well, our intentions were well, the doctor's intentions were well. And what can you do? You're cancer free. You've yep. got a good attitude. And guess what? Guess what? Just like the Lord said to Peter, you are strengthening your brethren. I mean, some of the things you're doing, some of the things we're doing together are, are we're, we're seeing lives changed and strengthened and men equipped. And it's super exciting. But getting back to that moment in the hospital, so your wife comes out, tells us surgery didn't go quite as planned. We come in, my wife and I come into that hospital room, and I'm all bucked up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there to encourage Jeff. I haven't seen him for years, and it's gonna be great. And I'm gonna help him get out of that hospital bed. <laughs> I saw you. I, I turned into just a ball of tears. <laughs> I think we both did. I was worthless. <laughs> And and guess who ended up strengthening his brother? You. Yeah. You you just became filled with the Holy Spirit. And man, it was nothing but I'm going to encourage Brian for the next 15, 20, 30 minutes. So so just like with Peter, that's yeah, what the Lord wants to do with you. That is a tough one, Brian. And that's what he wants to do with all of us. It's a tough one because we have to reconcile Satan and suffering and Jesus, how do you reconcile? Mm. How do you, as part of the sifting, mm -hmm. sifting requires suffering. Mm -hmm. It's at some level. And I think you came into, you know, you came into the room and there had been a sifting that had happened and there was a release of, the wheat, so to speak, because the done. sifting, yeah, the sifting is the removal of the chaff, mm -hmm. right, from the kernel or the wheat, mm -hmm. and so the wheat being the good things and the joy and the victory and the 
the things that you can build your life on and strengthen others with. So that, that, that mystery of suffering and the grace of God, only I think he really has the understanding. I think, I, I mean, I wish I could explain it all, but I do know this. He will bring out the best in you as he did in me through our sufferings if we just turn to him and just say here i am here i am do with me as you will lord and make me a man or a woman that can then go and strengthen others with the strength you've given me through my trial and use it to help others that's as simple as i can break it down Do you desire to be that man or woman who, when faced with incredible trial, are able to stand up to the challenge, not in your own strength, but with the strength derived from the Spirit of our Lord? You've just heard from Jeff Langscove and his story of being sifted like wheat over a period of 13 years as he endured cancer treatment. But notice, it wasn't Jeff relying on his own strength to get through this trial, with joy, by the way. He relied on the strength provided him by the Ruach HaChodesh, or the Holy Spirit, if you will. You know, my hope with all of these and other truth episodes is that you will be encouraged and strengthened. Now, coming up next time. Yeah, it's critical. The book of Revelation is absolutely critical to understand the last days that we're living in the days that are upon us, the days that are going to come upon us. I think that we need to be prepared to understand the cost of following Jesus Christ in a world that is anti-Christ. Prepare to join me as I interview Jeff Langscove and examine what we can learn from God's message to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Thanks for joining me, everyone. I'm Brian Sussman. More on me at briansussman.com. By the way, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Until next time, may God richly bless you.